When was this supposed to be the last day of the world, the Mayan calendar? When was that supposed to be? The 21st? So if you want to know our position on that, we don't really know what's going to happen on the 21st, but on the 22nd, we're convinced there's going to be a lot of Mayans doing some last-minute shopping. <laughs> we're finishing this morning a series on the subject of faith. You can never finish. You just got to stop. Uh, but, but we've been talking about what it means to trust God and uh, to really lean into this notion that somehow as we trust him, things happen when we do, when we trust him that don't happen when we don't. Uh, we, our text is out of Mark chapter 9, and this is Jesus speaking to this guy, and he says a very provocative statement. He says, everything is possible for the person who believes. Another version says, all things are possible to people who believe. Um, this week, I want to talk about what I, what I think a person should do when trouble comes into his or her life and how we should respond to that if we, if we want to see God's hand come to bear. We want to see something miraculous take place. What can we do? And, uh, but, but let me say at the get-go that <laughs> I, I don't think that every time situations are in our lives that we can just pray them away. Um, I think that we have a role to play. I think that there's some things we can understand about our role to play, but I don't think that faith ever was intended to make us in charge. That, you know, here's a good idea. Uh, there is a God. You are not him. Right? And, and to understand that, that, that we don't ever take the role of God in our lives. That somehow the fact that we're facing a being that's really non-being, that he's transcendent, he's bigger than us, that on some level we have to come with a fear and a trembling that even though he, we know he's love, that we can't quite grasp who he is. And there's always this sense of surrender. So when we talk about faith, we're not talking about controlling God or even controlling circumstances. We're talking about trusting in him who controls. Okay? So the reality is, is, is some, one of the reasons some people never get their answers, any answers to prayer is because they pray ridiculous things. Right? I mean, I, I could tell you, you know, I'm just really trusting the Lord and you know, God promises to give me the desires of my heart, and I'm telling you, I really feel like I want to be the next quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so would you believe with me and just stand with me and trust with me? Well, you look at me, you're an idiot. <laughs> but all things are possible to him who believes, right? I mean, you can, you're an idiot. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, okay. Uh, I was in a, 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 a small little town in Medford, Wisconsin, which is a tiny town. We lived up there for years. I lived up there for almost 40 years, pastored for almost 20 in that area. And so I'm at this meeting, and uh, it was a small group, and, and they had a time for people to offer, you know, they said, I have a prayer need, and they articulated the need, and then we prayed. Well, this guy is in the meeting. This is true. He's in the meeting, and he raises his hand. He said, I have a prayer request, and we all stopped and looked at him, and he said, you know, I, I really, there's this girl that I really am fond of, and uh, I just really think that, I mean, she's married, but I really think that the Lord, I just think that we should pray that the Lord will have her get a divorce, and, and then I'll divorce my wife, and I just feel that the Lord wants us to be together. We all kind of sat there. Right? See, there's, there's some people that are certifiable. And, and they bring that craziness into their prayer life. But, but get, never, don't ever forget this. God doesn't answer crazy prayers. Right? So that's one reason that, that sometimes prayers don't get answered. 
Another reason not all prayers are answered is because I think that there are some God things that, that he plans that we cannot change. There are things that are just going to happen. And uh, it, there's a text in, in, in Romans 9, Paul is saying this. This is out of the message translation. He says, who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment suppose that any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it saying, why did you shape me like this? End quote. So what he's really saying is there are times that sovereignty directs specific events into our lives. And, and our faith is not to try to change that, but to accept that. Now, that being said, the Bible is jammed with story after story of how God responded to the will of people, asking him to change things. And uh, it's, 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 one of the re, it's one of the repeating stories. God actually hears and answers the cries of people. There's a cool story with Jesus. Uh, he's walking through a crowd, and uh, you know it's obvious that they're just packed in there, and people are bumping up against him. He's walking through this crowd, and this woman sort of sneaks up in the crowd, pushing through the people, and grabs his uh, garment. And when she grabbed his garment, the Bible says that she was healed, and Jesus stops in the middle of this crowd moving along, and he stops, and he said in Mark 5 and 30, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. Now, here's what's unusual about this text. It's obvious that he didn't choose this to happen. It happened. Uh, in other words, it was something the woman did. And when this woman touched him, he, she, he, she was instantly healed. And so as he's investigating this, the woman finally comes forward because, you know, he described what happened and she said, I'm the one that did that. So she came actually trembling and she admitted that she had touched him. And, and then he says something very amazing. What he says is, is that he told her that it was her faith that had initiated the miracle. Think about that. It was, it was her faith. I mean, a human being actually initiated an action of God. It's very cool. There's a text in 2 Thessalonians where Paul is talking about acts of God that were prompted by the heart and the faith of the people. Acts of God prompted, not because he necessarily did it himself, but because we prompted it because of our trust. This is, this is in the scripture repeatedly. Uh, in 1 John uh, John makes this audacious claim. He says that every person that's born of God can actually overcome the world. <clears throat> and the victory that would do that is even our faith. Somehow as we trust God, there's, there's something that overcomes situations and circumstances that we encounter in our lives. And so these texts, um, they're really suggesting that we don't have to wait for God to initiate everything is the point. And that somehow, if we learn to trust him on purpose, that we get to see more of his hand moving in our lives. And even a, even a casual reading of the scripture points to this idea, that, that things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't, right? And so you get this, this kind of notion when you read the texts and you see the, the biblical narrative that there are times when God sovereignly acts in the world, and then there are times when he really looks to us to see what we will do, and then he responds to what we initiate. Very interesting. Uh, there's a story in 2 Chronicles, which sort of shows this in, in chapter 20, where the Israelites are facing this massive 
overpowering army. And the prophet dude steps into the situation. And he says, listen, he says, uh, you're not gonna have to fight against these guys. I'm go- the Lord is gonna fight for you. The Lord will fight this battle for you. And so as they step in there, they don't even send their soldiers. They send in the people that praise and sing. The singers (laughs) go first into the battlefield. And as they're worshiping God, the scripture says that the whole thing is dealt with. They have no casualties. God basically fights the battle for them. It's a sovereign God event. Very cool. But there's another time earlier in Israel's history that's kind of in juxtaposition against that story is there's an Israelite leader who stands up. Again, Israel's facing this huge army you know, insurmountable army. And, and, and this leader stands up and says to the people, don't be afraid, you know, you, you'll see, just stand firm, you'll see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll bring to you today, which sounds very faith-filled, you know. God's gonna take care of it for you, right? And then the scripture says, it's actually Moses that God says this to you, and, and God replied to, to Moses, this is Exodus 14, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> He told them, he said, listen, you engage and you do some things. They were to just step forward. And God, as they stepped forward, God followed up their initiated action. So again, the point is that sometimes God does it all. Other times we have a role to play. This morning, what I wanted to talk about is what that role is. When is it time we have a role to play? And what does that role constitute? So I broke it down to about five little thoughts about this. I mean, there are obviously dozens of thoughts about this. But these five little thoughts... I think if, if, if when, when trouble hits or circumstances, you're in the midst of a, of a mountain of circumstances, you want to see change, what are some of the things you can begin to initiate? Now, in saying this, these are things you can do. I'm not suggesting to you that this will guarantee a miracle for you because I don't think there's anything that can guarantee a miracle for you that we do. I think that we're always in a kind of a fog. I think we see through a glass darkly. What, we'll, what we're talking about here is if you do these kinds of things, you have a high probability of having a miracle. Probability is not absolute. Now, I know that there's a lot of teaching. If you're in the church, you've been part of the church, there are people that say that if you do these specific things, you'll always have a miracle. Uh, the problem is it doesn't even work for those people. Right? Because I, th- I don't think this is ever supposed to put us in charge. It's supposed to put us in a surrendered position. So here's, here's the first thing that I think you should do when life hits the fan. Okay? That is number one, run to God. <laughs> Very simple idea. But the first impression shouldn't be to try to figure it out, not to scramble, but to stop and, and run to God. And basically, you, you have to understand that when stuff goes crazy, you're going to feel disoriented. And you might even feel disappointed and hurt. But your first impulse as a believer in God should be to run to him. I mean, I think of the the very disturbing story of Job. Uh, The guy is wealthy. He's got a bunch of kids, and he's very close to his kids. kids, His kids are very dear to his heart as you read that first chapter. And and, uh, all of his stuff in just a period of a day is lost. His cattle, his riches, his servants, and his children are all killed in one day. And in response to this, you can understand how this would be disorienting. And in Job 1 and 20, it says, at at hearing all this, Job got up, tore his robe, which was a symbol of just saying, God, I'm not in charge. Tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground in worship. His impulse was to worship in the midst of loss. 
And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, in the name of the Lord. May the name of the Lord be blessed or praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The idea here is that when things get messier, they get sticky. The most important thing is to run towards God and to somehow just talk with him about what's going on. This, it, it, it sounds simple, but it's so important. There's a text in Isaiah 37 where the prophet says that the reason that God was going to do something was because the people first came to God with a situation. It says, and then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah, who was a king. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Hear it. Listen to this. Because you prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. This was this great king that was attacking their town. And he said, because you came to me first. Uh, this is the word of the Lord has spoken. Because you came to me first. And then he iterates what God was going to do for him. God saved them and, and, and took care of the whole situation. And, and all God was simply saying is, I'm so glad you talked to me about this first. <laughs> that you didn't try to scheme it and manipulate things and, and, and fret it over the whole thing. And then after you, all your efforts were done, you said, well, we might as well pray about it. Right? But the first impulse was to come to God. There's something about first that just captures God's heart. God's heart. You remember the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God first, the first commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. That it talks about in the old covenant that we're supposed to bring first fruits to the Lord, even of our tithe, what that is, is a first fruit. It's this first thing. It's like, who are you thinking of first? Who are you putting first in your heart? So whenever trouble comes, you know, the scripture actually says that he's a very present help in time of trouble. We tend to think if we're in trouble, he must not be anywhere near, or we wouldn't be in trouble. But the reality is we're living in a world of trouble. We're living in a fire swamp, right? And every once in a while, you know, fire comes up, and if you're close, you're going to get singed. But the first response ought to be is, you're here with me. The first, this is not a prayer that, that simply prayed to change the problem. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about running to God. We're talking about the kind of prayer that helps you orient in the problem. That you're coming to God and you're saying, God, I know that you're here with me. You're present in the time of trouble. That's the kind of prayer that it is. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's sort of, a, <laughs> the image that comes to my mind is in the Old Testament, they, the, the altar had these horns, and they used to, that's where they used to pour the blood and stuff over the, the, by the horns of the altar. And, and, and whenever people got in trouble, one of the things they could do is run and grab the horns of the altar. When their world was falling apart, they could run and, and grab this. When somebody was trying to chase them or, or cause them, you know, if they had gotten in a, a dangerous situation, they could run and grab the horns of the altar. It was kind of a plea for mercy is what it was. We see an example of this in 1 Kings. This uh, brother of Solomon, his name was Adonijah, he had done some stupid stuff. And it says, but Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. <laughs> What's happening here is this notion that when trouble hits, you need to go somewhere where you can focus on stuff that never changes, even though your world's falling apart. The stuff that never changes, like forgiveness and mercy and love and faith and, and hope and, and, and the fact that God is faithful. That's what you're doing. When you're running to God, you're just trying to get, you're grabbing the horns of the altar. You're trying to say, okay, I don't know what in the world just happened. I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out here. But God, thank you. You don't change. You don't change. You're getting oriented in the midst of trouble. There's a great 
psalm that expresses this. This is Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help when? In the midst of trouble, right? We just said that. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. See, what he's saying is, when everything's falling apart, you had better go to the place that doesn't change, right? Um, If you don't do this, you'll end up praying too quickly, and you'll end up praying to change the problem because you're scared. And let me tell you something, scared praying don't work. Scared praying doesn't work. Uh, when Lissa, our daughter, was born, Elizabeth, when she was born, um, she, about four or five hours afterwards, uh, it was in the middle of the night, Gail called me uh, from the hospital, and she said, honey, something's wrong. I said, what? She said, she's turning blue. And so, as we went to the hospital, dug into the situation, talked with the doctors, what had happened was somehow she'd gotten an infection in her lungs. And she was losing her capacity to, to get enough oxygen. So they have her on oxygen, 100% oxygen. And, um, and it was a pretty scary deal. She's in ICU uh, and uh, talked with the doctor. And the doctor, really nice lady, and I don't know if she said that. I mean, it just freaked me out what she said, but I think she had to say it. She said, I just need you to know how serious this is. We just lost a baby last week in this very situation. So this is a very serious situation. Well, the first thing that happens inside you is panic. Right? And so you, when, when you're panicking, if you're not careful, you want to pray. Well, let's pray. Let's just trust the Lord. <laughs> See, I know. I know yes. You can't scared pray. So Gil and I looked at each other and said, honey, let's just do this before we pray or anything. Let's just think about the times God's been faithful to us. Let's think about the times he's answered our prayers. Let's think about the fact that we're forgiven, that we're his people. So what was he doing? Trying to grab the, the horns of the altar. Get perspective. Let's, let's, let's think about how God's with us, and then let's talk about and pray about how we should respond. Let's pray about how we should pray, right? And so it was, it was either, it was later that night or it was the next morning, I think, we had made the decision that, of a course of action that we're supposed to take. The good news is, is that she ended up being fine. It was a little bit of a tossy-turvy thing, but it was, it, she ended up being fine. Uh, I've been in a situation like this where we did the same thing, and, and, and what we hoped for didn't happen. So it isn't that this is absolute, but I'm telling you, I think it positions us for the best probability of a good outcome when we pray this way. So the first thing is run to God. Secondly, if you want a miracle, and this sounds kind of odd, particularly if you're outside of faith or you're just thinking about what Christianity is, or maybe you've just crossed the threshold of faith and you're a new Christian, this is going to sound a little odd to you, but just stick with me for a second. The second thing is, if you want a miracle, you need to learn to die to self. Now, what that means, it's a religious kind of phrase. What that means, uh, we take it from texts like Paul here in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But notice, even though he wants to know Christ and the resurrection power, he needs to participate in the fellowship or the sharing in his sufferings and become like him in his death. So so if you ever want to have this resurrection power, life, which Jesus rose from the dead, which gives us the hope of rising out of death, rising not only really in the future, but also out of things that hold us now, rising out of sin, rising out of problems. That whole thing is the impulse of resurrection life means everything that sin had brought reverses in life, that we can have new life, that things can be different, right? Good morning, everyone. They seem sort of tired this morning. (laughs) 
Maybe I can dance it into you. <laughs> so, but what he's saying is if you're ever going to step into life, you've got to step into death. That, that somehow we have to share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So in other words, if you want an Easter, you've got to go to Golgotha. Right? And the scripture repeatedly talks about this notion of a cross life, that we need to be crucified of our flesh, you know, wrong kinds of impulses in order that we can taste resurrection. Um, for those of you, again, uh, if this is new, all we're really talking to you about is surrender here, where somehow there are lots of things that kind of come natural to us that um, uh, we as human beings that we need to crucify, <laughs> You know, uh, things like selfishness. Selfishness is one of my dearest friends. And, but I need to, to consistently crucify him, right? Uh, or things like envy or lust. And he's a thrilling fella, but you've got to kill him, right? Or, 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 or living with this notion that I am number one, that I've always got to watch out for my number one. So those kinds of ideas are things that you need to learn to die to if you're going to be a Christian. There's lots of dying to self, uh, when it comes to being a, a Christ follower. That's why I tell people, you know, listen, it, it's really true. Jesus is out to ruin your life because he wants to give you a different life, right? And so, uh, uh, and really in return, we find a new life. When we learn to surrender our stuff, we, we bump into these eternal things like faith, hope, and love. And as a result, we see these things come out of our hearts like peace and joy and self-control. These, these eternal things start coming whenever we embrace the crucified life. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, anyone who doesn't take up his cross, that's a death thing, and follow me, you're not worthy of me. You've got to die if you want life. For whoever finds his life, you try to hold on to it, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, that crucified life, for my sake, you will find it. This again is resurrection life. And that's why Paul says, if I want to find this, attain this resurrection, I've got to embrace the suffering. Now, believers need to embrace this notion of dying to self. If we get that, and, and I think we do get that, when it comes to sinful actions, right? If, 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 if I've got anger in me or wrong attitudes in me or I've got unforgiveness in me, I will come to the cross and I'll say, God, I'd really rather be angry. I'd really rather not forgive this person. In fact, I would love to hate them for you. Would you like me to hate them for you, right? And of course, the answer is no, he doesn't want me to hate them for me. So what do I have to do? I've got to die to what I want to do and surrender. And then I've got to forgive them. And I've got to love them with his strength, with his resurrected power. So we get that notion of dying to ourselves when it comes to things we want that are wrong. But here's the problem with miracles. In the, in the context of miracles, the problem is what we want is what God wants. God wants to do something. The promises are his invitations to trust him. And so God wants to help you financially. God wants to help you find that new job. God wants to help you get better physically. And you want that. But if you're not careful, you'll come to him when you come into a crisis, whether it's a financial crisis or a health crisis or a relational crisis, whatever it is. And because you and him want the same thing, sometimes we forget to die. And when you forget to die, you're really pushing for the promise to happen because you want it. Instead of going to the cross and saying, God, you know what? I mean, I know you want me to have a better job. I mean, I've, I've lost this job. I know you want me to have a job. But you know what? I die to my want to. 
I, I refuse to ask you to do this because I want it, because I'm not living for me. I die to myself, and I'm saying, God, I want that job because you want that job. Thy kingdom come, so my will is done. What is it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and, and it's one, that simple little notion of dying to yourself, I think, is an amazing, creates an amazing transformation because prayers that are answered are not prayers that are uttered from self-interest. They're prayers that are uttered because, because you're saying, God, the only thing I really want is what you want. I'm just glad you happen to want me to have a job. I'm, glad, I'm just glad you're, that you want me to get healthier, right? But, but you know, the, honestly, if you wanted me not to be healthier, I would be okay with that. That little thing messes with us, and it's at the heart of faith. And I remember when I first saw this was back in 1980, and uh, I had little Michael, and, and, and those of you that have babies, uh, you know what it is when your kids get sick, and you know, the seasons come through, and, and at least there's one or two times, particularly as a new parent, where you're freaking out because you're in the middle of the night, fever's raging, coughing, whatever's going on, and, and you don't know quite what to do. Do I go to the hospital? You know, they, and you're panicking. And I'm sitting there, and of course, at night, things get weirder, right? The goons come out at night, so there were goons in the room, and I'm sitting there with Michael panicking. What do I do? Go to, rush to the hospital. You know, his fever's going, and, and I'm, I'm rocking him, and, and this thought hit me. Okay, chill. And so I, I, I went to God in my prayer, and I said, God, you know what? I give up. I just want to say this to you. If I don't want you to get involved with this because I want you to be involved with this, I die to myself. If it was your will to take him to eternity right now, I want you to know I'm okay with that. But from what I understand in Scripture, your will is to bring health. And you gave this kid to us because you wanted us to raise him and, and to move toward right. And so I just, I just want to say thank you. I, I'm trusting you not because I want this. I'm trusting you because I think you want it. And I'm standing here as your representative speaking life over this little guy and praying that everything we're doing works. That simple little thing of adjustment in my heart changed it from me trying to get God to do something for me and God and me working together to see his will done in the world. That little shift, very significant. It changes the whole tenor of the prayer life. I think it's critical. I think you and I need to die to ourselves before we ever ask God to do anything in our lives. Thought number three. Very basic idea. Most of you have heard this if you've been in the church for any length of time, and that is if you're going to pray, find the promises of God in the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, that that promise you what, God, what you're asking God to do. Because these promises, again, they iterate God's longings. The promises are invitations for us to, to, to trust God, to do what he claims that he wants to do. Now, don't pray beyond the Bible. Okay, we've already kind of addressed that. Don't join the Beyond the Bible Club. Right. Stay over here. Find the promises. If you don't know much about the Bible, talk to people who do. 
Lean into the church. Find other people. And when you're having a need, say, I'm really struggling in this area. See what the scriptures say about it. Find some counsel. And because if you find the scriptures and then you write them down or you find them in your Bible uh, or you find them on your phone, wherever you find your stuff, and you write them down and you think about them, you need to rehearse them because there's something cool about rehearsing the promises. It's like, because the Bible, Paul said the Bible is like the breath of God. <laughs> I, I love to hug and I'm always leaning into Gail's space, you know, especially when we get to, you know, at night when we're getting ready for bed or something, you know, how can I just crawl in and just get close? Because I love to feel, get close enough to feel the breath. Or with the babies, when I was, we were raising the babies, I always, I'd hold them up real close. Now with the grandbabies, you know, hold them real close and just cuddle them. I love to feel their breath. I, there's something really sweet about being so close you feel the breath of someone. See, I think that's what the Bible is. The promises are. They're us snuggling into the divine being and feeling his breath. And when you feel his breath, you realize, I'm not playing a magic thing. I'm not, the Bible isn't just a book of, like, we're witches and warlocks putting incantations into the world, you know, finding a person, faking it out, you know, as though we're this, you know, and, you know, killing a frog or something, and, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) What frog? Cat, a cat. I guess we're killing a cat. I don't like cats anyway. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> cats are the result of the fall. But the point is, <clears throat> come on, stay on here, stay on here, okay. What you're doing when you're gaining the promises is that you're leaning into the breath of God. And when you catch that and you feel his heart, faith arises. That's what Paul says when he says in Romans 10, consequently, faith comes. Everybody say, faith comes. Faith comes whenever you hear the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Some of these promises somehow release into our hearts. It's, it's not, we're not just praying a book, uh, nor are we just praying that something will happen. We're leaning into the person. Faith is about trusting a person. I mean, even when Jesus went on the earth and he was telling people to have faith, People think, I used to think, what he was saying was where they were supposed to believe that this was going to happen. Do you believe that this is going to happen? I don't think that he was really after getting people to believe something was going to happen. I think what he was getting, trying to do, go back and read those stories. He was trying to get people to believe in him who makes things happen. When Jairus's, Jairus's daughter was dead and Jesus looked at the parents and said, hey, don't be afraid, just believe. So I used to think, well, Jesus was saying, well, you need to believe I'm going to raise. You need to believe that the dad will come. You need to believe that this baby's going to be raised from the dead. You need to believe it, right? And, but the reality was when, when Jesus went in that room with them and raised that little girl from the dead, you remember what the scripture says they did? They were freaked out. They were totally surprised. They didn't believe that that girl was going to be raised from the dead. You know what they believed? Jesus was enough in that situation. Whoa, he raised her from the dead. Believe in me. There's, it's what Jesus tells them. There's a great text in John 6. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do, Jesus, that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Believe in me. See, when, when you have a financial problem, what you need to do is not believe the financial. Believe that your financial problem will change. I don't think that's the focus. I think what you do is believe that there is a God who cares about your financial situation. And that he is with you. And as you trust him, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's going to do something. You don't know what it is, and you'll be surprised. But you believe in Jesus. 
That's our faith. We believe in a person, not in something. I tell you what, if you believe in something, you'll just be so focused on, yeah, bless God, you know, I had a problem. And praise God, I just spoke the word of God and it just happened because my faith, I have faith in my faith and my faith is great. And my faith, I just spoke, it just happened. Praise me. I mean, praise God. <laughs> when you're in love with Jesus, you know what you say? Man, I had a, such a horrible situation and I just ran to God and said, God, I'm freaking out. But you, you, I know you're involved with this and I know somehow you're going to make something change. And you know what? <laughs> he changed it. And my life is so much better. He's so cool. That's faith. All right, number four. I got to shut up. But number four, <laughs> and if you've been around teachings on faith, this may surprise you that this is so important, but it, and it may sound a little silly to those of you who are outside of these thoughts, but it's really, really true. If you're going to trust God, you need to watch what you say. You need to pay attention to your words. Why? Two reasons. One is, what you say informs your heart. And if all you're saying is the negative and the horror of it and the problem and how it's always been here, you're feeding your heart with more doubt and more dread and more fear. So first of all, you want to watch what you say because what you want to do is guard your heart. You want your heart to be filled with something good. James addresses this. He said that your mouth steers your life like a rudder of a ship steers a ship. Where are you steering your life? Are you steering your life into doubt and into fear and into dread? Or are you steering your light into life into hope and into expectation that God's engaged with you and that things will come to bring, whole, or bring good because God is a good God? Where are you steering your life? So that's number one. Number two... Jesus said this, this is Luke chapter 6, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Well, how do we do that? How do we bring good? How do we bring evil to bear in our lives? Watch. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You, when you say things... It really is the best indicator of what's going on inside you. I'm a diabetic. I poke my fingers, and when I pop it, and every time I do it, it still freaks me out because I hate to pop myself. You know. <laughs> anyway, so I squeeze out the blood. I put that little test, and that little, that little strip tells me what's going on inside me. It's, it's, the t it's the test. Your words tell you what's going on inside you. And if when you're always saying doubtful things, fearful things. You're, you're trusting God. You say, well, I'm trusting God to repair my relationship with my son, my adult son. And then every time you talk about it, you hear yourself saying, I don't know. I just don't understand it. We just can never get along. It's just absolutely crazy. It just seems like we're drifting further and further apart. That's what you really believe. You're saying what you really believe because out of the abundance of your heart, that's what you're saying. It shows you. You just proved what's going on in you. But if you're saying things like, you know what? It has been tough, but God... I just believe he's working something, and I appreciate your prayers. I believe that he's setting something up. He's changing the way that I, what I am expecting in this situation. It's been tough, but you know what? I just have a sense it's going to get better. <gasps> you're not doing that to fake anything. You're doing that because you're evidencing what's going on in your heart. Watch what you say. It'll show you really where you are. Okay. And then lastly, if you're trusting God, you need to decide to get prophetic. What do I mean by that? 
<laughs> the prophets of the Bible, <laughs> they saw what others didn't see. They, they, you know, everybody's watching the history unfolding and seeing this. And the prophets over here were going, yeah, 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 but there's something coming. Yeah, 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 but there's something going to change. And they, the prophets didn't see just the history. They saw a metaphysical history, a meta-history, because they saw what God was doing concurrent to what was going on that nobody else saw. And they knew somewhere down the road, God would intersect and change it. And so the prophets say, it's cool. Or, you know, or watch out. <laughs> Something's coming. People say, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I see something you don't see. Faith is about seeing things you don't see. So it says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on the metaphysical history, on what is unseen. For what is seen, subject to change, temporary. What is not seen, eternal. In other words, it's bigger. And it will change what is seen. You have to learn to understand. You're not going to see what you're asking God to do exactly right now. But that doesn't mean something's hap not happening. And in fact, I would suggest to you that if you're not careful, you'll be just looking at the scene and waiting for God to fix it. When are you going to get me that job? When are you going to get this physical situation addressed in my body? When is that relationship going to be healed? And all you'll do is get mad at God because you can't see him working. But if by faith you start realizing it's coming, you're working, you can be excited about God working even when it's not happened. And if you really live in faith, by the time it happens, something in you will probably be a little disappointed. Let me show you an example of that. As I shut up, as I have you stand, so you think I'm done. Which will have you sit in just a moment. But imagine if God promised you a bathroom. How many of you would love a new bathroom? How many of you could use a new bathroom in your house, right? Your old bathroom sucks eggs, so you want to get a new bathroom. So God promises you a new bathroom. Okay, so you say, God, I want a new bathroom. And then Monday morning, God pulls up in his God truck, and he's going to plumber for you. Comes and knocks on your door. You say, come on in. He comes through the door, and he starts working on the bathroom. He tears out the old, and he starts putting in the new. How many of you would be more excited that he's fixing the bathroom or more excited that God is at your house plumbing for you. You'd be going, you'd be calling your neighbor and saying, you're not going to believe this. God's at my house. What's he doing? Look at the bathroom, but he's at my house. Come over, right? And, you'd, and if God was working, you'd say, hey, God, come here. You know, just come here and sit down. Let's just talk a little. And, and you'd try to, you, you wouldn't be saying, are you done yet? Can you hurry it up? You'd be saying, come here, let's have some coffee. And he, of course, he doesn't drink coffee, he drinks tea. But um, <laughs> it, caffeine, you know. <clears throat> anyway. So by the time God finished and got in his God truck and took off and you look and you have your brand new bathroom, you'd certainly be thankful for the bathroom, but there's something in your heart that go, you'd, you'd, you'd miss the process. Real faith loves the process. It doesn't just want God to give us a new bathroom. Hurry up. Hurry up. I need it now. What are you doing? No, I've been praying for days. Why is it happen? See, that's not real faith. That's selfish, human-sided view instead of seeing and believing God's at work in your life. Have faith. Change the world. Amen? Sit down one more time. Grace.